Welcome back, guys, to the Beyond Condition podcast, where today I have a returning guest. Austin has kindly given up some time to come on the pod today. And actually, for me, it's super cool to do the pod with you, Austin, because, of course, Matt and I have recently joined your mentorship program. And very recently, we've done like three hours of workshops with you going through thyroid health. So, of course, in a pod of this length, we're going to cover as much as we can. But now I know what goes into thyroid health, thyroid dysfunction, everything that's covered, there's a hell of a lot. So we will condense it as best as we can, of course. But thank you for coming on today, Austin. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And well, where do we start? Probably mainly the function of the thyroid is probably the best place to get kicking with, isn't it? Yeah. So what what does the thyroid do? It's kind of our our first thing and we can kind of and we can talk about how the the feedback loop works and so people have a basic understanding. I think when most people think thyroid, they they generally think like basal metabolic rate as the primary function, which is generally the primary function controlling BMR, you know, uh, also also kind of involved in energy production in a way because it influences ATP synthesis, um, also influences uh, production and metabolism of catecholamines so like uh, epinephrine like norepinephrine so adrenaline essentially right and it's involved in sex hormones uh it's involved in sex hormone production and also some of the binding of sex hormones so some of those are kind of secondary but for most people where they are going to see the most issues with like a downregulated thyroid for example is slower metabolic rate and of course that it kind of just the easiest way to think about it is it just kind of slows the entire this entire digestion and motility process down everything slows down that's why a lot of people with hypothyroid will notice like sluggish digestion constipation and of course that's going to slow all of our detox processes down so everything detoxing through the liver all of these things are going to be slowed down and that's and that's where we start to run into issues with uh, hypothyroid specifically, if someone happens to have hyperthyroid, then they'll generally notice the opposite, which will be anxiousness. Those people generally are higher strung. They'll have maybe loose bowels. Uh, but for the sake of today's discussion, I mean, most of what we're going to do is going to revolve around hypothyroid. Yeah. yeah. And also energy levels and mood are highly connected to both thyroid, hyper, hypo. Yeah, for sure. So like again, that catecholamine piece where we're talking about um, this excitatory response. So adrenaline, excitatory neurotransmitters would be like adrenaline, dopamine, for example. So, you know, if we're, if thyroid is really low, people generally feel tired or more tired. And it's one of many reasons you could feel tired. Of course, there's a whole slew of reasons people can feel tired. Uh, and, and normally when someone is hypothyroid, they have other, you know, other things going on at the same time, which is, we can talk about those as well. Mm-hmm. So it, a por- important thing to point out about thyroid dysfunction is it's almost always indirectly a result of something else, right? It's kind of what we talked about in that class and in the, in the lessons is that rarely is hypothyroid or a thyroid dysfunction a primarily driven by itself. Mm-hmm. Most people have some kind of other issue, whether it be a GI issue, whether it be a cortisol issue, whether it be a um, micronutrient deficiency, for example, 
Yeah. So there's, yeah. So that's where we kind of have to start exploring. Yeah. Yeah. Cause through our tuition with you, a lot of the stuff to do with thyroid, it's the main sort of start point, I guess, the entry level to try and work out what's happening is putting the food in something like chronometer, having a look at the micronutrient intake. And then, of course, talking to the person about what are your stress levels like? How do you feel on a day to day basis as your sort of base level? And then you can get bloods and et cetera done. Right. So before let's let's before we go into that, how about we talk about that feedback loop so people can kind of know like what that even what that even looks like, because important, there's some important pieces in that feedback loop that will help you better understand the issues that we're having. Because a lot of our thyroid issues are going to be one of two things. The primary one being poor conversion from T4 to T3. That's the biggest issue that we're going to run into bar none. Uh, If I'm I'm looking at all the cases that I've ever dealt with, that's going to be the one. Secondly, is probably uh, probably binding issue, meaning that total total levels versus free levels. So every hormone or most hormones in the body have a binding protein. So we have sex hormone binding globulin, we have thyroxine binding globulin, so it's a thyroid. Um, we have cortisol binding globulin, like all these hormones have a certain amount circulating and then a certain amount available to use, yep. total versus free. So if we're looking at this feedback loop, it really starts in hypothalamus pituitary. It's starting with signaling, just like all of our hormones do. They have a signaling cascade. This will come down and actually tell our pituitary to produce TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. Mm. And that is going to tell the thyroid gland to start producing hormones. Most of what we produce is T4. We produce a tiny little bit of T3. But most of what we produce is T4. In turn, that T4 converts to T3, and that's our primary hormone. So T3 or free T3 is kind of the final form that we we need for those metabolic functions. Mm. If that T3 is too low, then the body will detect that, and it's going to go back up to the top of that loop and say, hey, we need more signaling. So that's why on labs the very first thing we'll see in terms of deficiencies uh, or in hypofunction is TSH going up, right? More signaling. It's saying, hey, we need more signaling to match this demand for thyroid hormone. Mm-hmm. So most of our low grade, low grade, I would call them hypofunction is going to just show kind of like high TSH and maybe everything else looks okay. doesn't really, but this is where like when we're we're talking about testing that the old school methodology at least in the US and probably UK so UK is always behind the US and and they <laughs> catch up eventually cool. yeah. <laughs> so so the old school methodology was just test TSH right if we see if we see your TSH is elevated then we probably know that you're hypothyroid mm. okay which is which is not a the, the assumption is correct. However, the problem with that is we don't really know, is it a conversion issue? Is it a binding issue? We don't really know why, right? Mm-hmm. So people would get prescribed. Uh, generally, they get prescribed T4. T4 or, or levothyroxine is what almost all physicians will prescribe. Even to this day, 
Some of them are starting to per, you know, prescribe like combinations of T4, T3 or T3 by itself, yep. but still the vast majority will prescribe T4. So if we have a conversion issue from T4 to T3, <laughs> we're just going to have to keep hammering more and more and more T4. So you get these, you get people on these astronomically high doses of T4 and they just, they're just not seeing that TSH come down. That's because not enough of that T4 is getting to that last step, which is T3, right? So that's where we start running into issues. So kind of rewind a little bit. We have issues with conversion from mm -hmm. T4 to T3 and we have issues with binding. So why do we have these issues? We can kind of jump into that. Like why, why are they there? Yeah. Yeah. There are, I will say this, most of what we're going to correct thyroid wise is not related to taking a dietary supplement. It's really just related to a couple of major points. One is allostatic load, right? Total systemic stress. Yeah. Cortisol, if we're looking at this pathway from T4 to T3, there's a few things that will disrupt that. Cortisol or stress, inflammation, high inflammation, and nutrient deficiency. Mm. So if nothing else, if you do nothing else at all, you can literally, like you said, go on chronometer, yeah. plug in your diet, get at least a rough idea of what your micronutrient intake looks like. That's a great place to start. Um, of course, people eating less calories or less variety of food are going to start being more susceptible to deficiencies. So, you know, if you're only eating four foods in your diet, you're probably going to be micronutrient deficient. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or if you're only eating, you know, a thousand calories for months on end, you're probably going to be micronutrient deficient. So that's a great place to start. Yeah. And then we start exploring that stress side of things, because as you know, what happens is that T4 converts into an inactive form of T3, which is called reverse T3. It's so we can check that. You don't have to check it, but it's, it is a good thing to see. It'll tell you if, which way are you converting to T3? Or are you converting to reverse T3? And that reverse T3 is literally just a mirror image of T3, but it's inactive. Now, the biggest downside of this is it actually does bind to the receptor. It binds to that, that thyroid receptor. So it's kind of like, in a way, it's kind of like taking up some of our receptor sites that we need and making them inept. Like we can't use them for T3. So now we've got a double whammy. We've got low T3 and we have high reverse T3 taking up all, you know, it doesn't take all of them, but it's taking up some of our receptors, yeah. gobbling them up. Yeah. or binding to them and now they're not available to use right mm -hmm. um so we really need to see uh, our, you know we really need to see that reverse t3 and, and, and get that number down and a very easy example is prep if you look at there are there's some actual a little bit of research on this if you look at what things like refeeding do what is one of the things that overfeeding does is it increases conversion of T4 to T3 temporarily, right? Because yeah. we know that that influx coming out of a deficit, bringing back into a maintenance or surplus for a period of time will increase conversion from T4 to T3. So that's one. Yeah. And what else does that refeed do? Probably lowers cortisol, right? Yeah. 
Same, yeah. but you could also accomplish something similar with just not overtraining, resting, you know, this is where, this is where the equation, you have to really examine the entire equation in the sense that looking at stress, that's like a whole different podcast in and of itself, like figuring out where your stress comes from. But I would say that, I would say that probably nine out of 10 times, we'll say this, we'll say eight out of 10 cases are probably mostly just stress. Yeah. And like you said, there's so many different types of stress. And then if someone is in a deficit for a long period of time on top of normal life stress, it's it's really difficult because there's so many things, you know, thyroid and other things that can happen. And then to try and manage that. And of course, when it's like a, a stress from, say, work or home life of all of these things that contribute, sometimes people aren't aware that they're so stressed until you start asking the questions as a coach. And it's like, shit, this person is very, very stressed. Right. Yeah. You, If you're coaching someone or you are coaching yourself, you yeah. know, this is where this is where you have to kind of take the bias out and have to, you know, take some inventory. I did a, a live on this, a live last night. It wasn't on this topic specifically. We we're actually talking about male bodybuilders, but a, a point that we made was um, you I, like take inventory of things it's this is where bodybuilders and or people in this realm like they like quantitative data they like to see something right yeah they like numbers you know people track their blood glucose or they track their steps or they're logging their workouts or they're tracking their food like we are kind of data driven a lot of people yeah. so in order for us to quantify this stress i will do a few things you know I can take have people take inventory. One that I talked about last night was write down the write down maybe the the three to five things that you think about the most every day. Mm-hmm. And now, once you've done that, write down what your connotation is towards those things. Is it does it make you anxious? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You feel happy about it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel anxious about it or obsessive about it? Those would possibly be more negative connotations right um if it's like hey i think about my uh my boyfriend or girlfriend every day that's probably a pretty that's probably a pretty positive well maybe unless they sure (laughs) but that is something that sometimes you have to address isn't it yeah for sure that's why i'm saying like it's not just it's not just our training data sometimes it's it can be anything right so look at these things that you've written down and then figure out what your connotation is is it a negative connotation? Do you place, is this a positive thing? And then that's where those are things that you have to work on. So sometimes working on it means, means detaching from it. Right. Because when I say, okay, you're really stressed about um, getting your 10,000 steps in, you're pacing around your living room Mm. at 11 o'clock at night to get that last 200 steps that you're short yeah that's probably not positive you know that's probably impeding your sleep that's probably making you anxious before bedtime that's so so there we might need to adjust something in your routine me as a coach yeah to accommodate for that or stress check in your blood glucose like you're obsessed about it you do it you know three times a day every day and it stresses you out Probably not a good thing. Maybe we just don't track it for a while. 
I think you know. we've said on a pod before when we've done one together about because I'm very much if I add something like that it's going to stress me out because I, I tend to go into these like neurotic patterns and I know, you know, I can notice that myself. So I don't do certain things because it's going to just add stress. And as a bodybuilder, there's a lot to do anyway in a day. So it's trying to work out what's more valuable and what's not going to stress you out to then lead to other, you know, other things. I said this last night and I, I'll say it again, because I want to say it in as many places as I can. <laughs> go that- for it. <laughs> Here's a here's a really good way to think about it is a, in in this space a lot of people think that they have some super ability to do everything above and beyond a normal person. Yeah. Just because you eat a better diet than your average person, you still have all of the life stuff, you still have to pay bills, you still have relationships, you still have work, you still have all these things in your life that you have to manage. You're now you're training super hard. Yep. You're tracking all this. You're adding all this stuff to your plate. What makes you think you're so special that you have this ultra superhuman ability to manage all this stuff that another person doesn't? Yeah. Right. So true. And it's it's not like you don't. You are by and large. You're still just like everyone else. The only things you're doing better is you're probably focusing on. You know, your your sleep is probably better. Maybe hopefully, you know, your diet is better. These things, but you're adding all of this extra stuff that your your average person doesn't have. Yeah, I say this to clients all the time. I start pretty much every monthly Zoom call we do with our community. I'm like, for, can I just start with the same thing? You guys are doing things that like 80, 90% of the population won't even consider things like steps, fluid, exercise, all of the things that you've just mentioned that is a good thing so what we need to do is talk about x y and z and it is it it does deserve recognition but you do need to especially recovery management this is something that i need to get better at myself you know in prep you do think you're superhuman and you know from prepping yourself you sort of get to points where you're like well i can do anything (laughs) right yeah so that's without harping on that uh stress piece for too long that's kind of a, a, an easy way that you can that you can view that but so we've kind of talked about those conversion issues and being both micronutrient deficiencies and um, also the stress piece another thing worth mentioning here that's really important is um, gi health or gut health for sure mm-hmm. so with gi issues most people that have them regularly or chronically, this is causing a lot of systemic inflammation over time. This is maybe causing you to not absorb micronutrients as well as you should. Mm-hmm. Um, this is p- potentially, so it's potentially like indirectly causing some deficiencies. Um, this is probably causing a real sluggishness in all of your detox processes throughout your body because everything's moving kind of slowly, right? If, especially if you're leaning towards like constipation, less frequent bowels, things like that. Mm-hmm. So GI health, super, super important in this equation as well. I would say that stress and GI health are probably the two biggest drivers to that poor conversion. Yeah, of course, it's things Peace. that we can actually do more about as well isn't it you know we can look at nutrition we can look at gi health we can look at stress management so that is like your 
sort of entry level to try and help this as much as possible. Yeah, and and um, another piece that we had mentioned earlier is that binding. So we can talk about that a little bit. We can mm. let's talk about what happens with thyroid hormone. Again, is once you are at that this step where you have T4 and T3, you need them to be bioavailable to bind. Mm. So something that does drive up. There are different medications and things that will that will cause binding to go up and down, but without getting too into the weeds on that. Um, GI health is going to be super important in how much free T3 that we have available to us. So that's another thing to consider. Um, and again, if you are checking thyroid, you know, we didn't mention this, but if you are checking thyroid, I, I just suggest checking all of the parameters, which would be TSH, T4, T3, and free T4 and free T3 and reverse T3. Uh, so those are going to be like baseline for everyone. That's not even considering like autoimmune, you know, autoimmune conditions, but that's going to be kind of a baseline for everyone to look at. Mm. And then we get into, and I'm kind of like buzzing through this, but we get into uh, um, sex hormones as well. So you were in the class, we talked about this in the class where the, I'll, I'll gear this a little more towards females because it's more predominantly an issue in females is it, and some of the people on the podcast may have heard the term estrogen dominance, Yeah, perhaps. So estrogen is a big issue here when we're talking, especially about the autoimmune piece. And for those that aren't familiar, autoimmune thyroid disorders, especially Hashimoto's, which would be hypofunction is probably, and I would, don't quote me on this. I'd have to look at the exact statistics, but it's it's probably one of the most common autoimmune disorders, at, you know, of, of all of them. There are many. And what that essentially means is that the immune system is attacking the thyroid gland. It's creating these, what they call antibodies that are attacking this thyroid gland and, and literally doing damage to it. Okay. And then over time, that thyroid gland can't keep up with the demands of production because it's getting damaged. So things that actually cause this autoimmune response are GI, chronic GI issues over time, lots of inflammation, that's one. Um, estrogen dominance is another. So we actually have something called the thymus gland, which this is probably very unfamiliar for most people, but yeah, the thymus sure. gland, I think when I talked about that in class, like a, a lot of people's eyes opened on that one, but- What's this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the thymus gland is pretty interesting because it, it really wasn't very well understood uh, until, you know, until more recently. And essentially what it is, is a gland that's responsible for growth and development throughout, you know, childhood and adolescence, but also it's really important for um, producing certain immune cells that protect us. T cells specifically, people maybe heard that term T cell and or T lymphocyte. And what these do is they protect us from the for from like faulty cells, which antibodies are just faulty immune cells. Mm -hmm. And it could also protect us from things like um, mutated cells, like cancer cells, perhaps. Yeah. And now this thymus gland is is kind of exacerbated or irritated by estrogen, because estrogen is basically offsetting a lot of the effects of progesterone. Mm. Progesterone protects the thymus, but progesterone is low in almost all of these, these female cases that we deal with. Yeah. Uh, so 
if you don't have a cycle, for example, like if you don't have a menstrual cycle, you're not ovulating, you probably have low progesterone, right? And you don't have this progesterone that you need to protect that thymus gland from being damaged, okay? So now you don't have the T cells you need to protect you from autoimmunity. That's why we see more Hashimoto's in women than we do in men. Mm. And women tend to have a little bit more active immune system in general. And that's more of a protective things because women, you know, women can get pregnant and conceive and do all these things. So we, we they have a little bit more robust, robust system, but that comes with faults. You know, the fault is that if it's overactive, you're kind of in trouble. So if we think about this, women are literally the perfect storm for an autoimmune disease, which because they have, a lot of them have too high of estrogen. Why would they have too high of estrogen? A lot of the time it's because they have a GI issue or their, their detox processes are very slow. So they're, they're not getting rid of the estrogen or they're kind of recirculating it back into their body. Right. So they have that and they, and then on top of that, they don't have enough progesterone. Right. So now they're kind of, you know, they're kind of in big trouble because they don't have the protection they need to protect themselves from these, these foreign uh, immune cells, which are, which are antibodies. So it's, it's a kind of a poor, bad situation to be in. Yeah, of course, as well, all of this feeds into when you do a prep, when you go into severe dieting or extreme dieting, all of those things you just outlined are so much more on the peripheral, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you really, the only thing that helps you in prep is the fact that you're eating less and you're not bombarding your digestive system. Like that's, that's literally the only advantage dietary wise, uh, other than like eating a bunch of food in the off season. But, but yeah, prep is perhaps the perfect storm. That's why, of course, that's why, of course, that, you know, a, a good coach is going to harp so much on being in a great position to start prep. You know, don't, don't go into prep are only standing on one leg already. You know what I mean? <laughs> like... Yeah. And it is, it's so hard because, you know, I'm always cheerleading what you can get from a prep, going to stage, etc. because there's a lot of positives. But when you've got that undercurrent of what it actually entails and the impact it can have, it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's important to understand that irregardless of like where you start, you're going to have some negative adaptation prep it doesn't matter your your hormones are going to probably drop some you're probably your thyroid function is probably going to drop some mm. even if you outside of someone that's just naturally extremely lean and very gifted for the vast majority of people you're going to have down regulation of all these processes in prep regardless of where you start so you certainly don't want to start already having you know hypothyroid for example yeah. This also lays merit in when you reverse out of a show and go into your recovery phase or whatever we want to call it of getting your, your food up fairly quickly rather than hanging out in that lean state, which I talk about anyway. It's not a, a healthy state to be in. It, it should really just be shown unless you're going back to back shows. It's just for that day. And it's about getting you back out of that. But this helps people listening that, are you know, hanging out in that leaner point. It's like there's more to it than just being lean or being big, you know, for sure. You, I reverse when you're, when you're trying to kind of reverse these adaptations, I think that the, 
And my goal with people is to get them back to homeostasis as quick as possible, considering their psyche. You yeah. know, how quick can I reverse them without them losing their shit? Right. Yeah. Mm. And how quick can I reverse them while uh, not like irritating their digestion because I'm going in? Because because if, if that was the case, everyone would just binge eat after the show and all their hormones would be back to normal really quick. <laughs> yeah. All the nice foods. <laughs> right. Which we know that that we know that that doesn't work. We know that you're probably just going to get fat really fast and, and cause a lot of inflammation. So and feel like shit. <laughs> yeah. And feel terrible. But ideally, yes, we want to get those adaptations out of the way as quick as possible. But there are also things we can do in prep. So one of the things that, you know, I talked about refeeding a little bit for yeah. talking about thyroid refeeding is helpful. There are, there are a lot of different kind of schools of thought on refeeding. I think that most people have kind of settled on the idea of, of doing like a multi-day refeed in a lot of cases seems to be a little more helpful or even people implement like diet breaks, which would be, you know, a week or whatever, several days. Yeah. And something else that people kind of forget is that with with refeeding, we're really creating a, an energy balance influx, right? We're taking taking you out of a deficit. So we can also reduce activity to do that as well. I love placing so, it on a deload. Right. So placing it on a deload or or refeeding on day like a days that you don't train. Yeah. Um, so rather than just thinking like eat as much food as you can on the refeed, maybe the increase in food's a little more moderate, but we're also decreasing activity at the same time. Mm -hmm. And the, the advantage to that is that you're you're getting a basically like a double benefit there because now you get the energy influx, but you also are reducing stress yeah. from the activity at the same time. So now you're you're you know you are lowering the cortisol, you are increasing energy balance, you are um, decreasing stress on your body. So it's not just I think that some people take like use refeeds as an excuse to just eat as much as they can for you know, how big can I make my refeed for a day or two days or whatever? Yeah. When in reality, think of a refeed as more of a rinsing off stress period mm. more than anything. And also if you're doing it, well, you would be doing it during a diet phase. It's about how long is that diet? Okay. So could this period of time having a refeed then almost fuel that next push for the diet, have a bit of a reset, you know, and, and it's good for the psyche as well. Like you said earlier. Yeah, and, and in reality, refeeding doesn't doesn't really aid in fat loss the way people think. Like people will see sometimes that their weight drops after a refeed, or sometimes maybe it doesn't move very much, and they're thinking, "Oh, I ate this much, so that's why." A lot of that's just from a lot of that's just from stress dropping off. Yeah, yeah, right. It's just inflammation dropping off, cortisol dropping, and that's where that comes from. Yeah, for sure. If you were looking at refeeds in like a prep scenario, I know it's going to be very, very individual, but it would just be interesting to ask the question. Would you, because previously for myself, I've always had refeed type structure more in the, at the start of the prep. And then when we get close to the show, it's like, do we want to go day out the deficit or do we just keep pushing till I'm pretty much, you know, well, at that stage lean condition, is there any timelines that you look at? a prep and you know have a, an overview of that yeah I, I i personally would like to get refeeding into the prep as early as possible just yeah. to have an idea of this like push and pull structure as far as 
like what is our rate of loss and mm-hmm. and things like that and kind of implement that early yeah. but of course you're going to benefit from the refeeding more and more and more the more compromised you are yeah right? tough one. like if you're if you're doing a if you're really fat and you're doing a 30 week prep yeah. then you probably don't have a lot of adaptation at the beginning because you have enough body fat and you've been eating enough. So it's, but I think it is good to get that, get a good rotation going earlier in the prep and, and also allow yourself enough time in the prep. Very good point (laughs) to do that. Right. Because again, you aren't probably dropping much, if any fat during the refeeding periods, these are reset periods. These are priming you for the next push. Mm. Right. So understand that you need time built in for yeah. that, of yeah. course. And would that help to would that help the thyroid having refeeds within a prep, do you think, or not much per se? Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I mean it's definitely gonna help. Like I said, biggest thing is it's helping with that conversion of T4 to T3. Mm-hmm. And now of now the other the other thing to think about is like some people that are enhanced are taking exogenous thyroid already in prep. So for those people, the biggest thing, the biggest benefit for them is the, is that binding, right? Making sure that that medication or that exogenous thyroid they're taking is not all being bound up, mm-hmm. right? That it's going to work for them. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the most important thing there mm, for sure. For those folks. Yeah. Cause that's, it is definitely a consideration. I think again, you know, when you come into this sport, you maybe don't realize there is so many assisted athletes and that of course can prop up things like thyroid health by having T3, T4 or either or a combination. But especially when you're doing natural preps, I know from myself, I fucked my thyroid from doing it back to back for so many years, you know? Yeah. It's again, this is where, this is where it just boils down to checking stuff prior, you know, even in, even in the UK, you guys have, you know, you guys have access to like MediChecks, I think is what it's called. You can, you can test all these things and it's really not the MediChecks. I've used them. They're reasonably priced. They're not, you know, they're reasonably priced for what you get. It's, they're very comparable to paying out of pocket for labs in the U S it's not, it's really not a whole lot different. Um, you can check everything you need because yes, you can go through a physician, but just good luck getting <laughs> oh, God. like good luck getting anything tested. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And also yeah. maybe we could talk about ranges actually, because it really does interest me how that differs even cr- country to country on what the ranges are that us as coaches are looking at, GPs are looking at, doctors are looking at. It all seems to differ so much. Yeah, so without if there's international listeners from different regions listening, you're going to have different units of measurement, right? You have picograms and nanograms and you're going to have all kinds of different units of measurement. The easiest way to think about this is when you're looking at T4 and T3 is that you probably want to be in like the upper 50th percentile of that range. That's a really easy way. So whatever that lab range is, and it's going to be pretty big, right? So if it's a one to five, obviously you're probably going to have a little better thyroid function closer to five than you are to one. Yeah. Right. So the only exception to that is for TSH. Now, right. TSH is we don't want TSH to be high in the range. We want TSH to be a little bit lower in the range because that's telling us that we're not over signaling. Yeah. Right. 
So for TSH, you probably want to be more like in the lower 50th percentile of that range. Uh, for US, that's, you know, the range I think goes up to like 4.5. I'll give you an example, goes up to maybe 4.5. I think it's one to four, 4.5. Mm -hmm. I like most people to be one to two or one to 2.5. Not like your example of the client that was really high. <laughs> yeah, well, that was a, that autoimmune case. Yeah, which... So for dysfunction, you know, we may see people low grade, they might be like a, a five or even a, a four might be showing us that's showing us that there is some thyroid downregulation present, but you can see numbers. I mean, sky's the limit on that. Mm. <laughs> it can go up and up and up and up, mm. especially in cases of, you know, autoimmunity, it can go very, very high. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It, it is hard as well when you do start looking at getting bloods. I think if you don't know much about them, it's like you're just looking at a bit of paper and thinking, okay, that's a bit red or that's a bit green. And actually, I'd say that a fair amount of people maybe don't actually action them. They just get bloods and then they just, yeah, I've got my blood stuff and carry on and go into a prep or whatever. Yeah, and in, in all reality, most it's it's easy and difficult at the same time because a lot of what you see skewed when we're talking about you know, thyroid health, for example, is really lifestyle and, and dietary related for the most part. You know, it's not, there are, of course, like using micronutrient supplements or there are some other supplements that you can take, but you're talking like minimal benefit, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Most of what we're, what we're doing to correct is are all the things that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, yeah. which are free, basically they don't cost anything. Yeah. And but they're difficult because people don't they aren't willing to to change anything, you mm -hmm. know. But what I what I always tell people is like if especially a competitor or someone turned with body composition is they're very a lot of people are afraid to change things because they identify with this routine and they they think if they don't do what they're doing that they're gonna get fat or they're gonna get less results or something, when really it's quite the opposite. The better you function, the better your results are gonna be. Yeah. So, you know, I just say, hey, do you want to get <laughs> do you want to get better results or you want to get worse results? That's a pretty easy question to answer, right? Yeah, yeah. It's well, the first one that springs to my mind is overtraining, isn't it? You know, we're we're all guilty of that at points. You know, a lot of people listening will do that. You can end up just overtraining, self-restricting, and you don't really quantify what the results on your health are going to be from doing this type of thing. But it becomes habitual, like you've just sort of pointed out there. Yeah. And everything, most of what we do, whether it's PEDs or training or diet, it's all that kind of inverted you, right? Yeah. More is better until it's not anymore, yeah. right? <laughs> but the nice thing about that is we have quantitative data we can look at. Mm -hmm. So the th it's harder to identify like, overtraining, for example, and, 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 and stress load, it's hard to identify that it's hurting your results until it's almost too late. For right. Sure, for sure. Because you have to, you're going to push through, you're going to notice some things, but you're going to push through it until it's so bad that you're going to have to really back it down. But that's why we can use things like lab work to, yeah. to see when those, those, that dysfunction is starting to happen and we can prevent it. And if, of course, if you're really honest with yourself and really honest with biofeedback, you can make changes early in that process. It's just that most people aren't. So they, most people aren't. And even if they work with a coach, they maybe aren't very good at reporting. Even if we have a really great update system, like they're just not that good at reporting 
their data to people. Um, you know, there's so many ways you can update people. You know, sometimes it's people will like to use number scales one to 10. Well, I can say I can put any number I want on there. My one and your one are going to be different, you know, yeah. but things that you, we can't ignore or that we can't really argue are like lab markers, for example. I mean, that's always, they don't lie. They're not fudged. You know what I mean? They're, they're accurate. So, so yeah. I like to have, and I do the same thing with myself. Like I'm very familiar with my body. I know what my tendencies are in terms of what things tend to go off first yeah. and where they are. So I can be honest with myself in that sense, but I still want to have labs because I'm still human. You know, I can still push through things at times when I maybe shouldn't. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's important. With labs, I agree totally. You know, it's it's super important to think about that and, and hopefully go ahead with it. If someone's listening and that's never even been on their peripheral, their coaches maybe not mentioned getting bloods, which is quite common, you know. If they're listening to this and thinking, you know, I don't know if I'd want to get bloods, is there any sort of telltale signs apart from, I know we've mentioned low energy and things like that, but of course, that's affiliated with a prep anyway. Is there any other things that people could go, actually, maybe there's something going on with my thyroid? Yeah. So I think that looking, if if we're talking about fat loss, for example, yeah. looking at, um, I'm not responding the way that I used to respond. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good point. That's one. Of course, it could be other things other than thyroid. But that's one thing to look at is like, I'm not responding the way I used to respond. There are there are physical symptoms. So it's some of them, unfortunately, kind of overlap with hormones, but things like hair loss, constipation, um, you know, slow motility, also poor, like really poor energy. Of course, that could be a whole number of things. But yeah, but easy ones are probably looking at hair loss, especially in women, it's going to be probably one of two things, either their hormones are tanked or their thyroid is tanked or both. But in any case, you still want to get labs one way or the other. Right. So, and, and you'll see it like women's hair falling out in like gobs, you know, like chunks, massive hair loss, you know, like literally thinning right at, in their twenties. <laughs> so is it? <laughs> no, that should not be happening. It's not, it's not a normal thing. So uh, that's an easy one to look at. Um, like I said, really low mood, of course, um, really slow motility, those things. And then you can all, you'll also see on your labs, it's interesting because generally when your thyroid is really slow, you'll see slow clearance of a lot of things. Like a lot of time their cholesterol goes up mm -hmm. because again, we're not clearing those detox processes are slowed down. So you'll see a lot of these markers start to climb that aren't basically being, uh, metabolized, I guess, if you will, or excreted. Um, but it's if you have never done labs and you you don't really know where to start, then I would say doing them twice a year maybe is a good yep, is a good kind of starting point for people if they don't if they don't have any experience with it. If you don't know how to read them, then obviously just inquire with someone that does. Um, you can research the, the the difficult thing about just Googling those is that looking at normal ranges versus optimal ranges. And, and the, and the difficulty is also that most people don't know how to connect multiple things within the labs to yeah. see how everything's correlated. 
it can be right. confusing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you, so talking to someone that's experienced with it, they'll be able to help you. Um, and they're also going to be a lot more honest with you than you're going to be with yourself. <laughs> yeah. so. What's good about MediChecks is they, they normally give you like a, if you request it, an overview of what their yep. doctor that does that. Yeah, I saw that. I've seen that on there. And there's a few places in the U.S. that do that as well. And again, they may have they may have a little bit different viewpoint than us. I think that we're in a special, we're kind of a specialized population because the context is like we're bigger and muscular and train hard. So like there's going to be things that are going to be potentially off just a, as a result of that. So it's it's good to have... If you are, you know, working with someone, then someone that knows that deals with that population, mm-hmm. a doctor, of course, you know, doctor's going to see your liver enzymes are elevated and think that you're going into liver failure when you just did legs the night before, yeah. you know, There's so many so. things to consider. And if so, if someone did get bloods, you know, like we've just had that fictional person there and their coach maybe doesn't know much about this area. Is it something that you offer as a consult and a service if someone listens and they'd be interested to do that? Yeah, I do lab consults all the time. I, I can I can read them from any I've even done ones in different languages. <laughs> like so I can pretty much I I don't speak it, but I can tell enough to what the, what the thing is and 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 read everything. So um anywhere, you know, anywhere anyone's listening from, I can offer lab consultations. Generally what I will do with those is I want to gather other information as well, kind of understand the the totality of your program and and your life. And then we get on a call, discuss everything cuz I'll have to ask some questions and then formulate a plan to, you know, to correct it. Yeah, for sure. Say about different countries. I have a client that's she's actually Polish and she went back to Poland to get bloods done because they do it a little bit better than over here. And she sent them in Polish and she was like, this is what you're looking at. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. I've done them. I've done Pol- Polish labs, Spanish, <laughs> um, even some a- even a couple people in like Asian countries where those are really tricky because it's that's like a really foreign looking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very foreign looking language at least in spanish and in most european languages there's the words sound similar in some ways yeah. on the labs <laughs> so. so if anyone's listening and you are an international person listening to the pod austin can still help you there is still hope so is it best to go through your instagram or your website if someone was interested in reaching out yeah on my instagram or on my social media in the bio, it, my email's in the bio. So just email me. That's the quickest way. That's better than DMing me because I'll have to, you'll have to like, you know, I'll have to send you a form and stuff anyhow. So it's just easier to, to send through email. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you for your time today. Hopefully people have, I'd imagine people will listen and go, whoa, that's a lot, but I've got a few of those signs or, you know, if someone has got something there, suffering with with thyroid dysfunction so it's going to be super useful for people to listen and of course we've simplified it as much as we can (laughs) right yeah if if nothing else it'll encourage someone to go get labs that maybe has never had them yeah yeah very useful though especially in the bodybuilding world so thank you so much for your time and i will obviously see you very soon because you are our mentor (laughs) yes i will see you guys soon thanks austin yep thank you bye